Well, great to have everybody tuning in. This is another episode of Cyber Coast to Coast. I'm Scott Schober on the East Coast, and I am joined here by my brother from the West Coast. How are you doing there, Craig? Hey, everyone. I'm doing well. And I'm like Scott said, I'm on the West Coast and we've got three great more uh, more great stories for you today. Excellent. Excellent. Well, why don't we uh, just to set the stage, I want to just remind everybody and thank our sponsor, Dark Kryptonite. Dark Kryptonite stops ransomware, malware and phishing in their tracks, eliminating cybercrime, fraud and information warfare. Dark Kryptonite utilizes advanced blockchain algorithms and zero trust models. To learn more about some of the great stuff that Dark Kryptonite is doing, please visit their website, www.darkkryptonite.com. And Kryptonite is with a C. So again, we thank our sponsors. You know, normally, Craig, we start out each week with a little teaser or mention that we're going to cover a cyber tip of the week. And I was thinking this week, wanted to stray from that slightly because we have a really good recommendation, which in in itself is not exactly a tip, but it kind of helps everybody get educated and raise awareness and at the same time, have some fun. And and what I wanted to do was do a shout out for a great book that I just did a video book review and I encourage people to check it out. The book is entitled The Hacker's Movie Guide. It's the complete list of hacker and cybersecurity movies that uh, was written by Steve Morgan and his son, Connor Morgan, both uh, colleagues at Cybercrime Magazine, Cybersecurity Venture. And it, it was really a great book. And I think you also had a chance to take a look at it. So I'd love to hear your thoughts, but uh, we don't want to give away too much because number one, we want you to go out to Amazon and pick up a copy of the Hacker's Movie Guide. It was just released uh, this week. And uh it's really an interesting read and, and you learn a lot. And, and I think it opened my eyes to a lot of great hacker and cybersecurity movies that maybe have slipped by me from years ago that uh, are very interesting. And throughout the book, there's some awesome quotes from different uh, cybersecurity influencers and leaders. And uh, I, I encourage you to check it out because you get to read their pick of the movie and why and uh, I, I had the privilege of being quoted there sharing my favorite movie. Again, I'm not going to give it away. I'd like you to, to pick up a copy of the book, The Hacker's Movie Guide. But what's your take on it as you went through it, Craig? Uh, I think it's, yeah, it's a great resource because, you know, sometimes there's so many movies and TV shows out there to watch now. It's like we're inundated with content and that makes it hard to, to pick something when you have the whole world in front of you. But, you know, every once in a while you feel like a, a genre, you know, a genre driven choice. And so this is perfect because if you're in the mood for hacker movies, you just thumb through the book and you could do a random thumb. You know, I'm feeling lucky kind of thing. And just whatever you <laughs> stop at, you watch. Or you could go to a specific, you could do it by year. Uh, you could go to all of the expert uh, opinions in there. There's like dozens of these uh, cybersecurity experts, um, at former hackers, uh, people that work for the government, for private corporations, all kinds. And you could see what they recommend. So there's a lot of angles to get kind of what you need. And mm-hmm. I think that's important. And I was just I was struck by just going through the book myself. I was struck by how many movies, first of all, are considered hacker movies. Now, you know, they're, they're playing a little loose with the definition, but if you think about it, each one, it really is a hacker movie because it always involves a main character trying to get 
something, whether it's social engineering or just, you know, a keyboard jockey and they're sitting there in their basement, you know, whatever it is, there's always a, a main character that's trying to hack into something, trying to get something out. And these movies are all feature those people. And when they do that, you kind of, it helps you step inside the mind of a hacker. You could see what really drives them. And I think that's always fun uh, to see characters like that portrayed in movies. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. And I think one other thing that's kind of interesting and I stand out and people will recognize the name is that Steve Wozniak, he wrote the forward for the book mm. and, and he did a really nice job. And it kind of, to me, it sets the stage. And, and obviously if you haven't heard it from him, well, uh, I'm surprised, but Steve Wozniak is the co-founder of Apple and uh, he, he's just a tech genius. He, he's a hacker, old school hacker. So Again, I think it'll be nice if you have a chance to not just pick up the book, Hacker's Movie Guide, but also read the forward and, and reflect upon that before you dive right in there. And it'll give you a little bit further appreciation for it. Yeah. And I just just to add before we move on, uh, that's one of the things, too, I appreciate about it because the, you know, the movies go back all the way to like, you know, the 50s. They start at yeah. with what they consider kind of hacker hackerish movies and it's it's almost a generational thing you know because hacker used to be a, has have a positive connotation you know was he doesn't i mean he knows obviously there's bad hackers out there but he considers himself he proudly you know proclaims himself to be a hacker because to him hacking is what good guys did it's what it's what people did to have fun to expand mm -hmm. their mind to learn about computers and all those things and so if you come at the book from a uh, maybe a younger generation, I, I think you're going to be influenced to see hacking as only a bad thing because all we see, all the headlines are only that involve hackers are only bad things. You know, it's, you, you never hear about the good things hackers do. And that's, you know, that's too kind of complex to get into now, but we, we, uh, as people in the industry ourselves and involved with the media, we understand why that is. Um, yeah. So I think it's great for older people to come in and see what's going on with new hacker movies. Maybe they haven't keep been keeping up to the new movies and it's great for younger people who don't quite know the origins of hacking as a term and as a hobby, as a profession. Uh, you know, you kind of, you kind of get it both ways. So I think it's, it's a great uh, bridge between those sort of generations, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I really, I really like, that's a great point. I was thinking because we know a lot of people and I, I help a lot of people at the, at the university level. Cause I, I work with uh, Kane University in central New Jersey there on the foundation board and the cybersecurity advisory boards. I'm always trying to encourage students and those that are looking for exciting careers to look at cybersecurity. So if you're a new student going to college thinking about, hey, I'm, I'm in computers, computer science, or thinking about cybersecurity, man, this is a great book that really helps steer you to different movies that will help you maybe grow in that passion that you have for cybersecurity, or maybe you're just, you're, maybe you're working already and you're going from a particular certificate in a particular niche area in cybersecurity. Again, good movie that will help open your eyes, or, or I'm sorry, a, a good book that will help open your eyes to different movies that are related to your fields of interest. So yeah, definitely uh, take, take, take a look. It's a good read. Well, let's jump right into our first story here that comes from the Hacker News. And it's entitled Critical Chipsets Bugs Open Millions of Android Devices to Remote Spying. And, and this is kind of interesting because throughout this particular story, Craig, mm -hmm. are, are, are very large companies that are affected by these type of things, not to mention the huge user base. 
And the part that I found most interesting, well, maybe to set the stage first, the, the, the researchers, they, they found three vulnerabilities in Qualcomm and MediaTek mobile chips that may leave millions of these Android users vulnerable to a type of spying. And it was tied in with the audio decoders specifically there. And mm -hmm. the, the way it works in, in, in a general sense is they, they could use this to carry out remote code execution attacks. And that allows the, the attacker to gain control over the specific uh, targeted device, the user's data, and uh, included streaming from the, the camera or gaining access to conversations and media and things, things like that. So it, it all rooted from the audio coding format. And the part that, that stood out to me, this was actually developed and released as open source by Apple Computer back in 2011. And I guess it was, was titled Apple uh, Lossless Audio Codec. But this was really open source that they put out. But since then, Apple really kind of created a proprietary uh, a version of, of code that they used and developed and, and implemented into their, their hardware. And they don't use this anymore. However, other companies such as, as Qualcomm here and, and, and MediaTek actually use this old code, this old open source. And guess what? How often do you think this old open source code since 2011 uh, has been patched or upgraded for possible vulnerabilities? Zero. Gusek, <laughs> <course> <laughs> yes. <laughs> what does that tell you as a user that has a device with uh, the, these uh, Qualcomm uh, chipsets in there? Oh, um, uh, yeah, I don't, that, I'm this, in trouble, right? I don't yeah, know. This is, this kind of, uh, it's a, it's disturbing. I'm not, I'm not sure of the, the full details. I looked through the story. I don't, I think Apple still uses this codec in their devices, I believe, but I think in their devices, it's not really a vulnerability because of the kind of sandbox nature of Apple devices. You know, when you when you use these these chips, I mean, I I'm 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 speaking out of ignorance because I don't know the specifics of this story or this this you know uh, exploit. But this is this is only affecting Androids, and it's a it's a hardware vulnerability, right? It's it's chips. Uh, Qualcomm, a Qualcomm uh, chipset, and uh, what's the other one? MediaTek or something yeah, MediaTek. Like that. There, yeah, these yeah, pro well, processors. Well, you, I was going to say at the, the end of the article there, Craig. If you notice, it talks about Apple's uh, uh, lossless audio codec, ALAC right. for for short there. So a Apple does have a version of it, but they have their own proprietary version of it, and that's the I version see. that that's through the years they've been patching. And, and solving all of these discovered security flaws. However, right. they, they haven't done is gone back to the open source version and shared that with the general public. So their competitors basically that are using this on, yeah. on the cheap, guess what? Surprise. This is, this is, I mean, there's a lot of angles to, to approach this from. I mean, you have open source versus proprietary. Mm -hmm. You have this kind of prioritization that Apple does they're inf they're famous for this you know they'll uh, we saw the same thing with um we're in fact we're seeing it now with uh, air tags and that that thing people are complaining about the android app that they wrote yes. you know, 
because they 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 prioritize uh, their own resources, their own code, um, their own codex. In fact, in their within their own operating system. But when it comes to doing writing code or writing programs outside of Apple's own ecosystem, you know, and famously. Everyone hates, at least this is what I hear. I never use a Windows version of iTunes back in the day, but everyone says it's the worst thing ever. Yeah. And Apple says, well, it gets the job done and we don't prioritize it because sure. we're, we're interested in selling our products to our customers. And we kind of don't care about Windows people. We don't care about Android people. I mean, they don't say that, of course, but th their actions speak those words to me. Yeah. And it's, it's understandable for a business to prioritize, but when it comes to security and you don't prioritize, it's, it's a scary thing. Um, but you know, again, this is open source. And so where was the open source community looking into all of these things? One yeah. of the reasons why these companies do this, I think is because they kind of, they could say, well, it's open source. And then they wipe their hands and walk away from it and let mm -hmm. the, let the, let the community kind of take it you know, take it to the next level, let the community check for bugs and, and flaws and let the community suggest updates. And then who, who's ever using their open source, you know, they're not paying for, for the right to use that. So it's up to them to fix the security flaws themselves. So, I mean, yeah. do you, do you blame Apple in this case? I don't, I don't know. No, I, I don't think so. And, and, and I guess the vulnerability was proved out by uh, Checkpoint, which was very well known in the world of cybersecurity. And I, I tried to just relate to this when I first looked at the story and thought years back, many years back, back in the days of, of 3G technology, I remember we developed a, a pilot scanner for, for CDMA and it demodulated. And we had a really, really exciting product and we were selling it. And I remember our competitor, our fierce competitor at the time, which I won't mention, um, was was taking some flack because their offering was, was was subpar in comparison to ours, and and we had a a really strong uh, a sales year plus. And I remember one of our, our sales people at the time, since long since retired, but he approached the uh, competitor and he said, "Hey, we've got this great product. You got to have it." And the irony of it was. They, uh, they said, okay, great. We'd like to license the board from you and put it in our own box and sell it. And we said, okay, but what did we sell them? We, we didn't sell them the exact same version. We sell, sold it with you know slightly inferior uh, performance because we knew we were creating a competitor mm -hmm. and uh, they did the test, they accepted it and were okay, but we still built the, the top end premier product uh, against our competitor. And maybe, maybe that's kind of what's happening here. A Apple says, yeah, you could, you could use the code, have the code, it's open source, whatever. We're not going to support and patch it. And if you run into problems, hey, you're on your own. And that's exactly what, what looks like happened here. Um, and, and I should point out, because they have a nice quote in here, they, they, they detail it a little bit more from some of the research Checkpoint put out. And, and they commented that the vulnerabilities were easily exploitable. A threat actor could have set their song or media file and when played from a potential by a potential victim it could have injected the code in the privileged media service the threat actor could have seen what the mobile phone user sees on their phone so yeah that's a it's a concerning threat and uh i think it, it, it's interesting how this came out and i guess one of the particular um integrated circuits the processors was from Qualcomm, the chipsets, and the other two were actually from MediaTek, another company. So uh, 
it's kind of interesting how those flaws were exposed and brought out. And again, I always commend people and even our customers, Craig, we get people that will call up and they'll say from time to time, fortunately doesn't happen too often. Hey, we found a bug in your, in your, in your software. Sometimes it could be firmware slash hardware, depending upon what it is. And and we're proud in the past 50 years. What, what, what do we always brag? Hey, we'll fix that for free for life because that, that puts the onus on us to do the best job we can in development to make it the best product as bug-free as possible. So uh, from time to time, people will approach us and find a bug and, hey, it's our job to fix it and do, and do right by the customer. And in this case, maybe Apple turned their head a little bit or just didn't want to get involved in it because it's a lost leader. They're not going to make money supporting you know, uh, 11 year old uh, open source code. It kind of reminds me of what we hear all the time with Microsoft and old legacy Windows systems, and they don't provide security patches and things, but they do make, they're transparent and say, hey, we no longer supporting it as of this date. And that instantly creates a business opportunity. Hey, upgrade to Windows 10, upgrade to Windows 11, so on and so forth. So mm-hmm. I think consumers just need to be aware of that, that they're, if they don't upgrade and they stick with old, old legacy products, or in this case with open source things, they keep, they don't have the same assurance that it will be secure. Right. And they don't, and the companies don't just don't have those incentives to get exactly. on top of fixing it. Um, so yeah. Interesting buyer, stuff. All right, buyer good. beware. Well, yeah. Buyer beware. Well said. Let's jump into our next, our second story here, but first I do just want to uh, thank our, our sponsor, uh, dark kryptonite stops ransomware, malware, and phishing in their tracks, eliminating cybercrime, fraud, and information warfare. Dark kryptonite utilizes advanced blockchain algorithms and zero trust models. If you want to learn more, visit their website, darkkryptonite.com and kryptonite with a C. We thank, thank our sponsors for allowing us to have this airtime here and to build up our, our great listening audience. So our, our next story, Craig, comes from Dark Reading. And this one talks about uh, Lenovo laptops and uh, three flaws that uh, are presented in Lenovo laptops can give attackers a way to drop highly persistent malware have been found and hackers are capable of evading methods to remove it. So it's kind of a uh, a little bit of a nightmare, maybe perfect storm. And did you notice how many different types of Lenovo computer laptops are affected here? Oh, geez, a, a hundred different. Uh, that's a that's a lot of models. <laughs> did, did you even know they had that many models? I never knew. No. I know I know there was a lot of them, but I didn't know that many. Yeah, I don't. I guess they go back a ways, and they yeah. probably come out with a couple dozen a year. I, who knows? I mean, we're I, the both of us are so out of that, yeah. You know, consumer world of the, the PC that you know it's hard to believe that you could come out with that many. You have you know that many models currently on the market, even. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and I guess that to point out for this, if, if you are a Lenovo consumer that has bought a laptop or has an older laptop, we apologize. But I'm glad we're at least able to maybe enlighten you a little bit so you can take some action. But the, it's really a firm level vulnerability that the attackers are using to, to attack with the specific malware. And they mentioned two, two of the vulnerabilities. And you can get more details certainly in the story involved. Unified, extensible firmware interface drivers that were meant to for use only during the manufacturing process. So that, that clearly tells me the intent is really for, for internals. And on a lot of companies do that. We, we too do this. We have some test modes and some special firmware that's used for testing 
and exhausting maybe a hardware module in, in a device that we make. And it helps to um, reduce just the labor in a physical person going through step-by-step and testing. Uh, it's almost a form of automated testing to really get any kinks and bugs out from uh, device to device. And in this case, when you're producing, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of laptops, it, it does make sense to have those type of things built in. Uh, and the third vulnerability is a memory corruption bug and a function for detecting and logging system errors. Uh, the, the part that kind of, again, caught my ear is, you know, wow, did they just find out about this yesterday? Well, they found out about these vulnerabilities last year, back in October, mm. and, and they just recently updated the drivers. So there was a little maybe, you know, delay so, or latency there. Yeah, it's like a seven month. I mean, yeah. I, you know, I understand. I'm sure they wanted to take their time and properly patch or, you know, fix this firmware bug. But that is a long time. And I don't know, when did they alert their users to this? You know, was, were they, were people still buying laptops with this, this in, uh, faulty firmware in there? And then uh, now you go a couple months and then suddenly you find out like, oh, I have to, you know, now I have to uh, patch my BIOS with a, you know, I need a BIOS update. This is not, it's not a trivial thing. I mean, they, I, I suppose Lenovo made it easy enough. They've released the, they have the BIOS updates on their website, but you got to know about that. So they had to, they should be alerting people to this. I'm assuming they're doing that. Um, and you have to, you know, install the, the update, which isn't the easiest thing. It's not as easy as a, a software update, exactly. you know, put it, put yeah. it that way. Yeah, and I, I do think there is a bit of a disconnect when you think about it. When people buy a traditional laptop, it's a consumer buy. It's done over Amazon or at Best Buy or Costco or who knows, wherever they get it. So it's going through several hands. The traceability and the ability to reach out and connect with the end user or customer is not always there. So when the customer finds out too late that there's malware on their on their you know, their laptop and they're trying to get it off and they don't know what happened and they lost this and that they, they end up going back down the channel and maybe back to the original manufacturer. So they, in other words, it, it's bad when your, your customer calls you. you, you prefer to be able to reach out and say, Hey, foul, we made a mistake. Sorry about this, but here's a patch. Here's an update. Mm-hmm. Here's an enhancement, a fix, whatever you do good in the customer's eyes. But sometimes if, if it's done, you know, six months later, the customer's upset. They lost a ton of data and time and money, and now they're mad. Now, now it becomes a brand issue. Do they want to mm-hmm. go back to Lenovo and have it fixed, or they just want to throw their laptop in a dumpster and go buy a new one? Yeah, and we can attest to this. I, I at least I can, as far yep. as the marketing for Berkeley. I mean, it happens. It doesn't happen all the time, but it happens enough to annoy me. You know, we get a customer who's a purchaser and they'll order something, but yet the product gets shipped to a completely different address. And the, the end user is a person they've never met and never had any communication with. And, you know, that's common in the B2B world, but yeah. it makes, it makes my job and our engineer and support uh, staff job difficult because sometimes it's a bug fix. Sometimes it's just a feature that we want the customer to know about but we yeah. don't have their information because we never shipped it directly to the end user or we never got their phone number or their email. And so you have, you have to rely on the person who bought it and sent it to them to, to convey this you know, vital information. And you know, you're, you're playing the telephone game. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And unfortunately it, it can get frustrating and, and you can, 
you, you can easily move on. The, the, the customer loyalty these days, I and mean, we're very fortunate. We've been in business for 50 years and, and, and we're always prideful in saying that we do work hard, not just for the big customers, but for every customer, and not just now, but hopefully so they come back because we have many repeat customers over, over the decades that I've been here at, at Berkeley and you've been here. That, that do come back and say, hey, I was at this company and now, now I have a new company or a startup or I'm the president of this uh, company. And, and they remember us, they come back. And oftentimes it's because they say, because of your customer service, when there was a problem, you addressed it, you fixed it, you communicated it. And I think that's fundamentally what all companies need to, to do is to be able to have that line of communication up where you, where you can just talk freely and, and get things resolved. Because Nobody likes to dwell on problems. They want to move on to, you know, find the solution and move on to the next thing that they've got to deal with. Yeah, that's it. Speaking yeah. of moving on. <laughs> Let's move on. All right. And finally, last but not least, we're going to shift over to Bleeping Computer. But just as a, a friendly reminder, we want to thank our uh, sponsor for Cyber Coast to Coast, Dark Kryptonite. Dark Kryptonite stops ransomware, malware, and phishing in their tracks, eliminating cybercrime, fraud, and information warfare. Dark Kryptonite utilizes advanced blockchain algorithms and zero trust models. Reach out and check out their website. Pick up the phone and give them a buzz. But if you want to reach them on the website, darkkryptonite.com. And that's Kryptonite with a C. So we thank our sponsor, Dark Kryptonite. Well, this next story here uh, is coming from Bleeping Computer, as I mentioned. FBI Black Cat ransomware breached at least 60 entities worldwide. This is pretty interesting, right? And I've heard the name Black Cat Ransomware Gang several times in several different stories over the past few months. So they're certainly becoming a well-known entity in the world of cyber crimes. And the immediate standout, before I even say anything else, the fact that they mention they breached the networks of at least 60 organizations worldwide. That's a, that's a pretty big number when we think about it. Um, I don't think a lot of these ransomware gangs can attribute to, to that level of success uh, because usually they end up getting caught. They get greedy, they brag on social media, and eventually they get caught. So just the fact that they could already attribute to over 60 organizations worldwide, some of which they admit and they want to take credit for, some of which the FBI, I think, has done some great work and they're hunting them down one by one. These poor companies that are getting uh, attacked and held ransom and working with them to resolve the ransom. And also at the same time, they're trying to help companies uh, prevent being victims of ransomware attacks by by best practices and education and, and, and tips that they are sharing. So I, I certainly say uh, thank you to the FBI for doing what they can do, but they've got a tall, uh, tall order to, to get through some of these. That's for sure. Now, the, the essence of the story here, do you want to jump in there, Craig, or do you want me to kind of, um, well, I was going to, I was going to say, um, the, actually the, the, the technical nitty gritty of it didn't interest me as much as the, mm -hmm. um, the kind of rebranding that's going on in here. If you scroll down the story a little further, it seems that, um, you know, Black Cat is a fairly new brand for this 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 ransomware gang, which was formerly known as, or I guess, still known as 
uh, dark side, also black matter. And so you have, uh, you have all these kind of brand shifting going on. And so uh, apparently there, there's some denial that it's that this, these are one in the same from this lockbit ransomware gang who, mm. you know, that's named after the actual, the ransomware program lockbit. Um, but it just all comes back to this idea of, um, uh, ransomware as a service and mm. it's becoming more and more of a, a, a it appears to be a legitimate business model the same way you have software as a service is a legitimate business model for legitimate businesses out there and i just think it's funny how uh when success comes uh the the brand the rebranding continues that you know they want to yeah. they want their it's almost like hey we're we're criminals and we're you know we're we're demanding ransom and we're holding infrastructure hostage and all that but we're pivoting you know we want to we want to rebrand and we want uh the world to know that we're pivoting in this direction now so uh we're not the old ransomware that you know we're not your father's ransomware <laughs> we're, we're uh we're the new we're the new generation of ransomware and we're going to do it as a service and you can work with us even though we're you know scumbag criminals and we should be in jail yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly and, and i guess they their, their claim to fame uh black cat which is also i guess known as uh ALPHV. I don't know if it's Alpha or whatever the. Oh thing, yeah, the I saw. Yeah, it's another kind brand. Of strange, kind of like yet it's... another brand. They they claim to fame is they're the first ransomware group to successfully use Rust, which is considered to be a more secure programming language that offers improved performance and reliable concurrent processing. So, again, technology and advances in these type of ransomware attacks, they're constantly developing and evolving and growing in sophistication, harder to detect, uh, harder to, to find the decryption keys and, and a backdoor to, to work around. So if you're law enforcement working with you know, a company, it's getting harder and harder. So I think when, when companies do share and I encourage this, when you, when you realize the moment you realize, oh no, I think we're a victim of ransomware attack, you do need to take steps kind of quick and respond to that, um, be it unplug from the internet, be it, you know, don't, don't start to monkey around and, and try to do a backup at that time or anything else. Call the local law enforcement, get in touch. If it's a big enough situation, the FBI gets involved right away. They may give you some specific steps. And more importantly, they may actually give you decryption keys because they may have the latest and greatest decryption keys for that particular strain of ransomware that'll get you out of the woods immediately. Obviously, back up your data, back up your data, back up your data. We always tell people and, and have an immutable backup that can't be deleted or modified that you keep off premise, lock in a fire safe or something, or make sure you have a good secure uh, cloud backup that is properly encrypted that nobody could monkey with. But uh ransomware is still a huge problem it's growing it hasn't shrunk unfortunately so i think we just have to look at these these companies they're rebranding and growing and, and they're they're capitalizing on this taking in more and more money it's going to get worse before it gets better unfortunately so it's really really important for all of us just to be aware of this uh the latest threats and to be able to react and share that information to law enforcement because it helps you ultimately, but it also helps other companies that are being targeted and victimized. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay. 
Um, trying to think, is there anything else we wanted to cover on this story? I think we covered the, the, the essence of it. The scope and size is, is pretty, pretty amazing. And, uh, I think it, it's, it's important again, just to try to follow those, those type of tips. And, uh, one other thing I was talking to somebody about the other day, if you are a, a victim of ransom, where there are some things you want to just kind of like immediately do and i never even thought about this This is more on the physical end but grab a notebook and write down some details and what do i mean by that is is all the details you can write down because once the this becomes an investigation with law enforcement or fbi they're going to ask you a whole bunch of questions and some of it may be confidential but to have it all in one place is really handy so if you write down uh, you know, obviously some of your passwords they may need access to, but even when the events happened, how did you discover it? Um, which computer was it discovered on? When was your last backup? Where does that reside? Uh, what type of intellectual property do you have? What are your crown jewels? What are the things valuable to you and your organization that you're trying to protect? Mm-hmm. Uh, to what extent has your information um, possibly been been out there in the wild? How long? stuff in the database so and so there's lots and lots of questions but it's good to take a book a notebook and jot down some of these things why because when you sit down with law enforcement you can be transparent and share this information the more you give to them the more likely they're going to be able to help you and it may maybe the fbi it may also be a third party that's brought into this be it by you the fbi or together that needs to know a lot of this information so they can do the forensics and the investigation so making their job easier will, will ultimately help you and possibly get your data back sooner and, and avoid paying that dreaded ransom that they'll have the gun to your head. Yeah. Uh, it is a good tip and it's, you know, there's a, a reason why when you watch these procedurals, uh, whether it's the FBI or the police, uh, you know, on, on TV or the movies, you know, they, there's always the moment when, the you know the victim is asked a question that seems like it comes out of the blue and it's always because what the police what investigators try to do is they're trying to piece together because you know of course they're coming at it from a a perspective they don't know anything usually except evidence that's really right out in in front of them but what they're trying to also do is um to kind of jog the memory of the uh the victim because there's a lot of things that you do, especially if it's a company and it involves a lot of people. I mean, think about it. What if you recently hired a new person there? You know, that person could become a suspect. Maybe they planted the ransomware. You know, there's all these things that you don't, you don't think about right away. You're just, you're only picturing your kind of computer in your mind. You're, 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 you're thinking about your relationship to that and your schedule. And the last time I logged in and stuff like that, when, Mm -hmm. There might be other people that had access to it. There might be other little, um, whether, you know, circumstantial little tidbits uh, that could weigh heavily on the outcome of that investigation and point the investigators into a completely different direction. So you want to, you want to put all options on the table, uh, you know, all possibilities on the table when you're first starting out this. And I think one of the best ways to do that is like you say, write it all down. Because as we know, when you, when you sit down and physically write it down or type it out, usually you write a lot more things than you first initially thought you were going to write down. 
Um, and, and so one memory can unlock another memory and so on mm -hmm. and so on. And soon you have like a mini little journal of all your activities from the past day, week or month. And that stuff is invaluable to investigators. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Very important. So I think working closely with them just is it's imperative and, and downtime is expensive. And obviously the larger the organization, the more on the network, uh, the, the, the more sensitive the data might be, be it in the healthcare or financial sector, sector but time is of the essence. So you got to really, the more information you have, the more you could share with them, the better chance to remediate it and, and recover and get back to business as usual. So, um, all right, well, that kind of wraps us up. Uh, I just want to, again, thank our, our uh, sponsor, Dark Kryptonite. They stop ransomware, malware, and phishing in their tracks, eliminating cybercrime, fraud, and information warfare. Dark Kryptonite utilizes advanced blockchain algorithms and zero-trust models. You can learn more about Dark Kryptonite by visiting their website, darkkryptonite.com, kryptonite with a C, and certainly tell them that... Uh, you were listening to a great podcast, Cyber Coast to Coast, and that's where you learned about Dark Kryptonite. We really appreciate that. And, you know, th this podcast is available on YouTube, Spotify, Google, iHeart, Apple, Amazon, and many more places. If you like what you hear, please subscribe. Give our podcast a review. We really appreciate that. For questions and comments, certainly you could DM us on Twitter, and you could do that directly to myself, at ScottBVS, or visit www.scottshober.com for more information. You know, if we read your comment or question on the podcast, we'll send you your choice of a signed copy of one of our great books, Hacked Again, Cybersecurity's Everybody's Business or Senior Cyber. Thanks again for uh, listening and tune in next week for another new episode packed with cyber news. We'll share some new tips and we encourage everybody out there, stay safe. Signing off, this is Scott from the East Coast. And signing off from the West Coast, this is Craig. Stay safe, everyone. With your host, Scott and Craig Schober.